I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The presenting sponsor of today's podcast is Fifth Element CBD. Fifth Element is ultra-high milligram CBD focused on relief and recovery after a workout. They are specially designed for people with an active lifestyle, from weekend warriors to professional athletes to bucket list gym enthusiasts. Fifth Element, a.k.a. 5E, is full-spectrum high milligram hemp to help you whenever, wherever you need it, whether it's after the gym or after work. Get yours today to feel better tomorrow by visiting 5ehemp.com and use the promo code MONSTER for 50% off. Yes, you heard that right. 50% off. Half off. That's 5ehemp.com and use the code MONSTER. Go to 5ehemp and get 50% off. That's the number 5, the letter E, hemp.com. Welcome back to another episode of the Over the Monster podcast. As is the case every week, it is me, your host, Matt Collins, and I am joined by Brian Joyner, and we are uh, we're talking here on Tuesday after the Red Sox have completed their second straight comeback win. Monday's against the Blue Jays wasn't quite as, um, I don't know the word, but fulfilling maybe as the one against the Yankees, but it was still pretty sweet. Brian, what's going on with you? I think we should tank the first 70% of this podcast and then just finish super strong, come from behind victory in the podcast game. I don't know how we define that, but I can do my best. 
In other words, do the same thing we normally do, but then just yeah, do I was gonna say, but do better at the end. At the very end, yes. <laughs> yeah, that sounds. I'll I'll try. I don't know about that ending part, but we'll see what we can do. Um, no, the Red Sox are winning a lot of games. They won three out of four against the Yankees. They won their first against the Blue Jays. Uh, we are recording this Tuesday afternoon, as per usual, so we do not know what happened in that um, Tuesday night game against the Blue Jays quite yet, but. Uh, we're not going to talk a ton about the Red Sox actual performance right now, at least not in the beginning of the show, uh, because this week is trade week. The trade deadline uh, this year is on July 30th rather than July 31st. I'm assuming that's just because it falls on a weekend, but I don't really know. It's been throwing me off for a while, uh, but that is Friday. So as you're listening to this, there are only about two and a half more days for trades to happen. Uh, Red Sox sitting in first place in the AL East. One would assume that they are going to make some moves, or at least a move, do something to solidify their position at the top of the division and put themselves in a good position for a uh, run in October. But as of right now, as of Tuesday afternoon, there really hasn't been anything about them. It seems like every other buyer at least has some rumors. The Rays have been connected to Max Scherzer. The Yankees have been connected a little bit, at least Trevor Story, Starling Marte, players like that. The Red Sox, we haven't really heard a whole lot of anything. Are you afraid that they're going to stand pat, that there's a real chance that they just don't do anything and they just run with the roster that they have? I think it, that you need to parse the definition of not doing anything because I think they will do something. And if it's yeah. tiny, it's tiny. So if it's for a, a sort of just another middle tier reliever, I don't really count that as doing anything other than um, sort of just the cost of doing business in the contending year. I can totally see them not doing anything beyond that because Chris Sale is, I mean, they've pretty much made it clear that Chris Sale is their guy. And to that end, their answer to even if the Rays were to get Scherzer, which please don't do that. Please, please don't. Good news on that front is uh, they're saying that Scherzer Scherzer has a no trade clause, um, and they're saying that he would. It's looking like he would prefer to waive it for a West Coast team. So hopefully, we can hold out hope on that, and he goes to like the Padres or something. Not the Padres or something. The Padres specifically, because that would be fantastic. Yeah, I'd um, be okay with that. I love the Red Sox Padres Mutual Admiration Society. <laughs> it's great. Ted Williams, Nomar, it all works. Don Orsillo. Um, Don Orsillo, of course. Um, Mark Normandon. <laughs> Never heard of him. Um, <laughs> so I could, I could very much see them not swinging a big deal, but they, as you've noted, they have not. There's been no indications, but that does not mean, you know, nothing is happening. Uh, Though I will note that with the Mookie trade, by the time that happened, you know, that had that was pretty much common knowledge that that was about to happen. So I'm not saying it's the most buttoned up organization, though, obviously, there's been like a year and a half of growth since then. And I would imagine that High and Bloom... uh, principles of order so it would not surprise me would it surprise you uh it would surprise me i guess if i'm it would surprise me in that 
if you had asked me this question a week ago, I think I would have been more surprised. But I think I was going to say something similar, I think, to what you said. Um, just that I think they'll probably add at least, like you said, like a middle tier reliever, somebody who can be better than Brandon Workman or Axel Rios or whoever you want to throw in that bottom tier of the Red Sox bullpen. To me, that's pretty much equivalent to not doing anything, but I guess um, it's technically doing something. Um, I do think that there is... I know you mentioned the Mookie trade was kind of not really under wraps. I don't know that I would really read too much into that just because that was just such a different animal, I would imagine. Every reporter was asking every single person. They knew about that trade once every five minutes. Um, I mean, Mookie Betts is the best player who's been traded in this league since I, I don't even know who the person before that would be. Um, so I don't know that I would... Yeah, A-Rod, that's probably right. Um, yeah, but I, so I wouldn't really read too much into that in other than the Mookie trade, even with like free agent signings, I feel like there hasn't really been a lot of buildup. Again, there hasn't really been any superstars uh, being added, though, so it's kind of hard to read between the lines. Um, but I, I'll say this. I would be disappointed if they don't specifically get a first baseman, but just generally if they only add like a, I don't know, somebody who would be like their fifth best reliever or something like that. Um, at the very least, I think I want to see somebody who would be a top three guy in the bullpen. I think it's like the minimum bar I would like them to clear. I wonder if people don't like, I mean, I hope people like this podcast, but it's, we, especially on the trade issues, we seem to be perfectly in line. Um, well, I think this trade deadline and there, I mean, we might be some disagreements later, but I think generally for the Red Sox this year, I think there's mostly agreement. I think everybody pretty much agrees. They don't need to go nuts. They don't need to, as much as I would love Max Scherzer, or Craig Kimbrell, those guys, I certainly wouldn't be upset if they got them. I don't think, I think most people acknowledge that they don't need those kind of pieces, but they need to do something. So I think this year, I think there's just a lot of general agreement around the Red Sox. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just in a bubble, but that's sort of the sense that I'm getting. Well, you're in a bubble with the people who are right. So it's a good bubble to be in. That's that is correct. Would you would you say they're still the favorite in the division if they don't do anything? I mean, it, probably, but it depends on. If it depends on what the Rays do, of course. Yeah, if they make a huge move, be it for Scherzer or someone else, then that could be. They're probably still the favorite anyway because of sale, but. Um. It's hard to say now, but I would say that the odds that they will still be the favorite are incredible, are very high. Even though I believe, speaking of us disagreeing, you didn't think they were the favorite last week. Yeah, I still really like this Rays team. Since we last spoke, they've gotten Nelson Cruz. Um, yeah, that was unfortunate. So that, that really makes me scared of them to a much higher degree. Their offense has been good all year, but I haven't totally bought into it. But when you add someone like Nelson Cruz to the middle of that lineup, who's just going to mash a million home runs, um, that, that takes things to a different level. I think that's fair. That's fair. I guess I would call him about even now so that the sale Slash. I think the Rays are also going. I don't know that they're going to add Scherzer. Like I said, it seems like he wants to go to the West Coast, but I wouldn't. I feel like they're going to at least add another starting pitcher. 
Um, just because they traded, um, they traded Rich Hill, which is a strange move unless you either are feeling really good about somebody in your farm system and maybe that's, I don't know, Shane Baz could come up, um, and be that guy. But I mean, even if he's the addition instead of a trade piece, I think that makes him scary. Or if they add, I don't know, John Gray or somebody like that could take them up another level as well. I think either way, um, which I think you were kind of alluding to as well, there it's going to be close between these two teams, and I kind of expect this race to go down to the wire regardless. But, I mean, that in and of itself is a case for the Red Sox to do something. This is going to be a race that's probably going to be one on the margins. And so maybe you look at an addition at first base as only a marginal upgrade, but that could be the difference between getting to the divisional round and having home field throughout um, the postseason and having to play a one-game playoff against whoever it may be, a red-hot Yankees team, an athletics team that always seems to give the Red Sox trouble. I just think there's so much of a premium to be put on winning the division that they just have to do anything. And even if even if they are a slight favorite without doing anything, I think it's still too close for my comfort. What what on earth is a quote-unquote red-hot Yankees team? I don't know. What well, if is. they're in if they're in the wild card game, then that yes. would presume that they got hot i guess well, this, i was trying to make i think there's some uh nba lessons to be gleaned here too where um teams sort of you know i don't say baseball teams coast through the regular season it's just not possible it's too long it's just like a it's a grueling um it's a slog but the same way in nba where the defense gets ratcheted up because no one's taking possessions off every pitch in the postseason is magnified so you have to be better prepared for every eventuality i mean that's why like doug mankiewicz wasn't even he's not like a good player but he was great for the 2004 red sox because he could play defense at first base and they needed that um and he's steve pierce in 2018 can sure can it, crush lefties i mean that's these little additions can make a huge difference you're right right and uh hopefully tampa doesn't uh, just fly Max around for six hours and then land and just, hey, look to the west. Do you see any land? Is there on the west coast of Florida? I'll just say that they're on the west coast. Don't think it'll work, though. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really see that working. Um, so I did, I did want to talk about the rotation a little bit. And this is where I think I have seen some disagreement among Red Sox fans as far as what the Red Sox should do, and maybe there will be a little bit of disagreement against or between us about this. Do they need to get a starter? And we'll talk about should they get a starter in a second, but do, they, do you think they need to get a starter? I've seen some people say that's a necessity for this deadline. I do not think it's a necessity. I don't think so either. I think... I mean, I, there's always the possibility that they just lose, like, three guys to injuries as soon as the trade deadline passes, but I just, I know this is an injury-prone rotation, but at this point, you just gotta, you can't really count on an injury, and performance, yeah, they could upgrade Nick Pavetta um, as, like, the last guy in their playoff rotation, but I don't know, I don't think they're gonna get Scherzer, and then after that, I guess I'm just not as into the trade market as other people are. So no, Kyle I don't know that Gibson. Kyle saying. Gibson doesn't really impress me. John Gray. I mean, John Gray is better than Nick Pavetta, but I don't know that he's that much better than Nick Pavetta. I'm not like John Gray is starting a playoff game. I'm not just like totally comfortable with it. Um, 
so I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm with you. I definitely don't think they need to, but the question of should they, I think, becomes more interesting, or I guess maybe could they? Like, is, there are, I think there is an argument for making it, but I'm curious if you would even, if that's something that you would even put on your radar. I mean, it would be second to first base in terms of the hierarchy of needs. Um, because again, let me just be clear, I'm exempting bullpen support um moves from the analysis because i feel like that is something every team every contending team should be doing it's like the letters you get at the end of wheel of fortune um, <laughs> you that is just a given so beyond that uh i yeah i you can't have too much decent starting pitching uh but at least in theory but I think that they have enough guys that they probably won't think they should. I do not strongly think they should or shouldn't. I mean, as we've said on this podcast now dozens of times, they just keep winning. Just keep winning. I mean, it is. No, I did say, but what I also said is that in the playoffs, you know, every pitch is going to be a bigger deal, but anyone they get is going to be around the Pavetta level, I would imagine. And the way this team also has operated in giving people their sort of advanced shots to fill and sustain their roles, it strikes me as less likely that they add a starting pitcher unless it was, you know, some, re- I, you know, I don't want to say Scherzer every time. Um, Armand Marquez, I think, is literally the only other guy I've seen out there that really intrigues me as like a clear upgrade over multiple people in this rotation. Right. So he would be the exception to the rule. And that just seems like too small a target for me to try to hit from, from way back here. But so I would say that there are there's basically one guy who if they went and got him, I could see that rather than getting a first baseman, even though those two things don't need to be mutually exclusive. Uh, But I don't think they should. What about you? I mean, I've gone back and forth a million times on this. I think I, I think I ultimately land where you are. I am intrigued by the possibility of Nick Pavetta in the bullpen. Um, and if this was like a video game, I feel like it would be no brainer because Pavetta's stuff could play up in there, and he he could be the bullpen addition. Even um, I mean, he could be that good. But I mean, Pavetta's a real human being, and he has a history of being put in the bullpen and not being thrilled about it. And I'm assuming the Red Sox would like Pavetta to be part of at least their short term future for the next year or two. So I think they don't really want to piss him off. And again, the that's part of the um that's part of the cost you need to factor in and i don't know again the upgrade for somebody like john gray between the prospects you'd have to give up which wouldn't be a ton but it would be enough and pissing off nick pavetta i don't know that the upgrade would really be worth it and then when you talk about nick pavetta potentially 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 having to make a uh playoff start that doesn't concern me as much if everyone's healthy because he's the last guy in your playoff rotation 
And the last guy in your playoff rotation really only needs to go three innings these days, especially when you have Tanner Houck back there. You can go Pavetta three innings, Houck three or four innings, and then you're into the sixth or seventh, and then you let the bullpen uh, just let it fly. So I think they can work around the rotation issues. Again, if you can go get somebody like Scherzer, if you can maybe swing something for Herman Marquez because the Rockies have no idea how to run a baseball team, absolutely look into it. But unless you're getting one of those top-tier guys, I'm just not really sure I see the upgrade. Well, yeah, and as I was saying, the Red Sox seem to like to do solid by their players. Any prospect you send to Colorado, their career's over. So, you know, that would that's not nice. <laughs> that's um, just being mean to your prospects, yeah. Right. Uh, also, I just want to point out that for the many people who say we're living in a civil uh, sim- simulation, then we are living in a video game. You can just p- put Pavetta in there. But, but I don't think that uh, any, even if it's true, it's not relevant because who cares? Um I, yeah, I just don't, I don't see it. I don't see the need for it. I think that part of the reason that the rotation was structured as it is, is to have the type of, have a bunch of the type of pitcher you would trade for up front. uh, So you don't have to do that. And then, you know, they, they have that, they have the level of pitcher that you would trade for at the deadline filling the back of filling and spilling out of the back of the rotation at this point. So I just, I don't just don't see it unless it was for Max or, or Marquez. Or unless, I guess, unless I think there's a lot of people who are, and I was one of them for a long time who are down on Nick Pavetta in a way that I guess I'm not anymore. I don't think he's great or anything, but I think you can live with him at the back of the rotation. Yeah. Um. So what, what does the rotation look like? post sale coming back then is it in this order i guess doesn't need to be necessarily right but sale rodriguez avaldi pavetta perez and then richards is out yes and i would say that perez then becomes the guy on the hook uh for the if tanner Houck is just incredible and perez has some bad outings i would say that he is he would fall back um, to the not nominal fifth spot. But I think that that's pretty, I mean, I, I would be very surprised if it was anything other than that. Yeah, I, th- I think I would too. I think the only difference that I would have is that I wouldn't even, and I don't, I don't anticipate that they necessarily agree with me on this. I wouldn't even have Hauk work as anything close to a starter anymore. Um, and that, I think, is another reason why I might target a starting pitcher, just to make that more clear. I think Hauk, you can just throw him in the bullpen and just let him be a one or two inning guy um, for the rest of the year. When Sale comes back, again, I don't think they're going to do that, but I think he could be such a weapon in that role. And I think Richards, you can stick him in the bullpen and he can be a better version of what Matt Andrees was before. And I'm not really as worried about pissing off Garrett Richards because he's gone next year anyways. Um, presumably they're not picking up that option if they're moving into the bullpen. So that would be my only difference I have with you. And then for the postseason, and just looking ahead with that group, again, injuries could always change this, but I would consider putting Perez as the fourth starter instead of Pavetta, just because it seems like he would, Pavetta would be better in the bullpen than Perez, and I don't think Pavetta would get as upset about not starting in the postseason as the regular season, but 
Um, generally think, speaking, I think we're on the same, the same wavelength there. I also, my confidence in Perez is, is starting to, to flag a little bit. And, but I, I think with, with Perez and Pavetta, it's sort of just a race to the finish and who can, yeah, keep whoever's it, keep it probably going with the hot hand. Yeah. Yeah. I think my confidence in them is wavering at roughly the same rate. So I kind of think of them as similar. They're different. They're obviously way different kind of pitchers, but just in terms of my feeling. I mean, in the playoffs, it could also depend on the handedness of the team they oh, played. Actually, that's a good point. That's probably the most important factor in the decision. If they're playing like the Blue Jays or something, not that I expect them to play the Blue Jays, but if they did, obviously they're very right-handed. So yeah, that would make sense. That's a good point. Um, yeah, so I had mentioned at the top that there hadn't been any real rumors about the Red Sox. There was one that I didn't really understand, but uh, Sean McAdam reported that the Red Sox had talked to the Marlins um, about Starling Marte, uh, who was an outfielder. Targeting an outfielder make much sense to you? It's surprising for me to hear. I am a little surprised. I'm more... I more just chalk this up to the Marlins talking to as many teams as they can about Starling Marte because he seems like the most traded he's not traded yet but it seems like he's already been traded uh like the number one league-wide trade asset so um yeah I mean I guess it I'm to the point where I am sort of looking at the Red Sox like I look at Rays when they make moves and sort of realize that there are hidden moves behind whatever they do. Because I can't see the hidden moves ahead of time, I find it hard to predict the actual moves, um, the out-of-the-box moves. So, I I mean, it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me. Does it surprise you? It does surprise me. I think... I mean, I'll be honest, my initial read on those rumors was that the Red Sox were trying to up the price for the Yankees, or, I mean, there's a lot of American League contenders who could, the Rays could probably use Starling Marte over Kevin Kiermaier. Um, There are teams the Red Sox are battling with that could use Starling Marte, so I don't really know how often this works, but teams obviously do this sometimes to up the price. That was the only way that this really made sense to me, because... Um, I don't really think Sean McAdams getting information from the Marlins front office. So I'm assuming he got this from the Red Sox. And I mean, unless they're just giving up on Jaron Duran after a few games, which I don't think they're doing. I, I don't know where you're fitting another outfielder, I guess. Yeah, that's, it's, that's the, I mean, I love Starling Marte. I, I wanted the Red Sox to go after Starling Marte in the offseason. I don't think the Marlins would have traded him then, but he was a guy that I really liked and I like him as a player. I just don't really see how he fits with this roster unless you're putting Duran back down in AAA, which would be a whole nother can of worms. Yeah, I mean, like, they were so careful with Duran this whole time. It would be very surprising to me. Yeah, and I mean, Brady, our um, our buddy Brady made a good point on Twitter uh, Monday night. He, he said, did? I know. I know, but he said um, the reason you call up Duran earlier than they did was to get some looks at him and determine do you need another outfielder at the deadline? Obviously, that's too late. And at this point, I just I don't think you can 
mess around with Duran that much. I don't I don't know that I mean he I think he has the mental fortitude or whatever to be able to handle that, but it's just not a good way to go about handling prospects. So I like I said, the Marte stuff to me just screams trying to raise the price for everybody else trying to get him. But I don't know that they really need help raising that price because, like you said, everybody kind of wants Starling Marte, except for the Red Sox. Justifiably. He's he's like a he's very, very good, good, fun baseball player. He's what you want, you know? Yeah. Like I said, the only reason I don't understand it for the Red Sox is because of their roster. It has nothing to do with Marte. He's a very, very good baseball player. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Um, all right. A couple more things on the deadline. First base, I think, I think most everyone would agree. First base is the position where the Red Sox need to upgrade. Do you have a favorite at that position? Bring me Carlos Santana. Sorry. Was that Baby Car- Shark? No, that's uh, that's Maria Maria. Oh, are you there. trying to do the other Carlos? I heard it on the radio the other day. Uh, they played the Rihanna song that samples it and went right into that one. It was very pleasant. Uh, yeah, Santana. He's yeah, like, I think he he's like Starling Marte to me, and like he's a player I really like. Have liked his whole career. Just a good baseball player. Yeah, he kind of seems like he makes just the perfect amount of sense. I know everybody wants Anthony Rizzo and I like Anthony Rizzo and I would not be complaining, yelling about the Red Sox trading for Anthony Rizzo, but I don't know that he is that much better of an addition just in, just for this year than Carlos Santana. Um, he right now, Anthony Rizzo has a one fourteen WRC plus Santana has a one twelve. Um, Rizzo, I think, probably has a little bit of a higher ceiling, I guess, but Santana just gives the Red Sox so much of what they're looking for. He draws an incredible number of walks. He's never had a walk rate lower than 13%, which is just outrageous. Nobody on the Red Sox right now has a walk rate higher than like 10.2%. He doesn't really strike out. He's not going to hit for a high average, so people that look just look at batting averages would probably complain about this but he gets on base he hits for good power alex core has talked like all season about how important it is to put the ball in play especially with men on base especially with men on third and i mean the red sox have so many guys who don't do that chief among them is bobby dahlbeck and so the upgrade from santana to dahlbeck just in terms of contact uh would be huge and then when you add in the fact that he just works at bats he's a switch hitter who hits both Kind, both handedness of pitchers about equally as well and he's under control for next year so 
if you want to move if you're wanting to move on from Bobby Dahlbeck from next year, which I kind of am, um, he provides that bridge to Tristan Casas that I think we talked about a little bit last week. So I kind of wanted to disagree with you because I knew you were going to say Carlos Santana, but I just there's nobody else that really fits the bill as much for me. I mean, Jesus Aguilar is fine. CJ Crone would be a little underwhelming, but he's better than Bobby Dahlbeck, so that would be a fine, I guess. Anthony Rizzo, like I said, I wouldn't complain, but Carlos Santana just feels like he checks all the boxes. Yeah. Um, I didn't say Carlos Santana. I sung it, and it wasn't good, so you can disagree. I was going to ignore the... Yeah. yeah, I was just going to ignore the singing part. <laughs> and I think the... The Royals, just as a team, and I think we talked about this last week too, so we don't have to go into it too much, but they just, they seem to me like the best match for the Red Sox when you throw in that they have Scott Barlow and they have Josh Stomont, or if you want to go down a little bit further, they have Kyle Zimmer, they have Greg Holland, who I don't really want, but he's there and he's got some saves and he's got the playoff experience. I mean, they have the kind of relievers that the Red Sox should want. They have the kind of first baseman that the Red Sox should want. And they even have a guy, Mike Miner, who we talked about too last week, a guy who can kind of bounce back and forth between starting and uh, pitching in relief. And that would make a lot of sense for the Red Sox too. So yeah, I think the, uh, I think the Royals just in general make a lot of sense. Um, What about the bullpen? I don't know. You don't necessarily, if you have a name in mind, you can, or just like, do you have a, do you think they would be fine if they added another, say, Darwin's and Hernandez type reliever or should they aim higher and give somebody who's like clearly with Barnes and Ottavino in those late innings funny that you should mention Ottavino right now after he you know lost that game to the Yankees but but I think that Tanner Houck may be that guy frankly that you're talking about so I don't know how high like I Kimbrell just doesn't I just, I'm not, I wouldn't mind if they got him, but I'm not sitting here saying they got to get Kimbrell. I th- because I think that there are so many very good relievers you mentioned too on the Royals that because they don't get in save or even hold situations a lot, we don't know. But they're everywhere, and I feel like they can get one. So I, I don't think it's a, actually I don't think it's a choice of one or the other. I think they can do both. They can get a quality person even if they're, name brand isn't um as as high as like Craig Kimbrell's which is about as high as you get for a closer regardless of his uh skills which are still you know uh there extremely good right so I I think a Darwinson level would be fine but I'm you know I'm happy to get something better yeah so I wrote something i think it actually just published like two minutes ago as we talk um i'm kind of intrigued by daniel bard assuming that they don't have to pay a ton which i don't think they would because he's a 36 year old reliever um but obviously the connections to the red sox in his days back in the early 2010s when he was one of the best relievers of baseball kind of makes him all that much more intriguing but i think even just on his face he makes a lot of sense He's not Craig Kimbrell. He's not going to be that good. But like you said, I don't. I'm with you. I don't think the Red Sox need that guy. I totally, as will surprise nobody. I'm all in on Matt Barnes. I think he's totally fine in that ninth inning. I don't think they need an upgrade there. And I think Bard gives them 
a little bit of a cushion, another right-handed setup guy to take some of the workload off Adam Adafino, some of the workload off Garrett Whitlock, some of the workload potentially off Tanner Houck if they go that direction. Uh, all of those guys have some concerns. Whitlock coming off Tommy John. Tanner Houck was injured already this year. Uh, Adam Adovino is 36. And Bard, if they got him, is also 36. Or I think Adovino's not quite 36, but he's almost there. Um, but the point being, all of those guys, ideally, you would be able to sort of ease them into the playoffs and have them at something close to full strength in October. So I think adding another right-handed reliever who is... I mean, Bard's been closing games for the Rockies. That's not a high bar, but he's doing well. He's not elite, but he's very good. I think that type of addition would make a lot of sense. And like I said, the connection to Bard's old days in Boston just kind of put him over the edge for me. Yeah, well, it also would make the job easier for the beat writers who wouldn't have to think of a new angle to write about for, you know, weeks. Um <laughs> the redemption of Daniel Bard, yada, yada, yada. That that stuff would go on for as long as the Sox were alive. Um, I would eat it all up, too, for whatever that's Oh, of course. Of course. It's like it, it's like artisanally made to appeal to you. <laughs> and again, would get him, getting him out of Colorado would be its own reward for him. Yeah. Although he's old enough where he might just appreciate being in that Rocky Mountain air. Well, you said and it wasn't a high life bar, endeavor. and I and I managed no. not to make the pun until right now. But there you go. <laughs> All right, uh, last question on the trade deadline. We did this last week. Uh, I thought we both said over, but you're telling me I said under, and I believe you. Uh, over no. under one and a half players added. No, no, I was talking about Garrett Richards starts the rest of oh. the year. Oh, sorry, okay. we were talking before the podcast. Um, yeah, people don't need. I'm going over one and a half at this point think you've convinced me that there's enough names out there in the ether that i could see a couple guys coming aboard uh probably and i i like i like the idea of a deal with kansas city for santana and a reliever i mean i just really like that yeah i I i'm wrong about everything i feel like i feel like over is probably right and they're just holding their cards close to the vest but I don't know. It just feels like there's they're gonna just say they have enough at first base between Franchi and Dahlbeck and Marwin and Christian Arroyo that they'll be able to figure something out, and then they'll just add like a decent reliever, and that's it. So I think I'm gonna go under. I'm really hoping I'm wrong, um, but that's just kind of the sense that I'm getting. But again, I, I would be upset if that was what ended up happening. Well, we'll find out soon. All right, let's move away uh, somewhat from the trade talks, I guess. Um, talk about a few things with some listener questions mixed in. Uh, first up, I want to talk a little bit about the comebacks. The Red Sox, as I said, they've been coming back a ton lately. Um, they've got, I think, 33 comeback wins uh, through Monday's game, which is the most in baseball. It's been very exciting to watch, but should we be worried uh, a little bit about that, about how early they're falling behind in all these games. And uh, Beth kind of put it well, I think. Beth asked us a question related to this. Uh, she says, do all the comeback wins remind you of 2018 or, 20 th- or 2003? In other words, is the offense covering for pitching that will ultimately be exposed in the playoffs? I think that's pretty unfair to the 2003 team that was five outs away from going to a World Series. Uh, I don't think that they were 
exposed beyond anything uh, to anything beyond, especially in the Yankees, a historically great team. Um, just as the Red Sox were that year and the next year, you know, regardless of who won. I love the comeback victories. This is, I don't think that there's anything. First of all, we're not learning anything new about the pitchers that are giving up the runs. I mean, this has always been part of the, the game. And as we were talking about, when you have to sort of buckle it down in the playoffs, you know, if Nick Pavetta has to make one or two starts, that's not a lot. And yeah, if you can live with that. Right. And so I don't think that that's, I don't think that the the need to come back is representative of anything other than some bad spots for pitchers who we knew were going to have some bad spots. And I think that the offense is going to be just as potent in the playoffs as it was in 2018 and 2003. And that in both cases, obviously a couple bounces made a huge bit of difference. So uh, while 2018, they did sort of romp eventually the Benintendi catch is, you know, the, one of the biggest inflection points in recent baseball history. And 2003 was the Pedro inning was another inflection point and those things happened. So the lesson I would draw from there is not that they weren't prepared in 2003, getting five outs from the world series to say this, that they were. So I'm not, the comeback wins are wonderful. They're not, I've been, you know, as I've talked to you about, because I live in the New York area and been listening to Yankees sports talk radio this year, more than any other year combined, because it is so sad and they're just talking about how the team gives up on these games and Boone doesn't know what he's doing or the opposite of that. And it is lovely. Yeah. I think I, I think I mostly, I mostly agree. Um, I will say I wouldn't put all of these, all of the necessity for all these comebacks on the pitching. Um, Some of it's been the offense. I mean, the game against the Yankees, that was, the story of the game was that the Red Sox literally couldn't hit. They had no hits through seven innings. That was why they had to come back, not necessarily because of the pitching. In fact, it seems like the pitching has been solid and especially the bullpen. So I think that's in a way encouraging for the postseason season because you have to lean so heavily on that bullpen and the Red Sox bullpen has been a major reason why they've been able to come back because they, fall behind but then the bullpen especially Phillips Valdez recently has been keeping them in the games and giving the offense enough time um I do think I mean anytime you're winning a lot of close games I think it's a little concerning in terms of true talent and the Rays do have a pretty substantial 23 uh run they're 23 runs better run differential um which does scare me a little bit but oh no I mean I think you're right I think it's just it's in a way, it's sort of the ebbs and flow of a baseball season. And yeah, the Red Sox have more comebacks than other teams, but that's that's not the only way that they've been winning. They've been crushing teams too, so I, I wouldn't probably wouldn't read too too much into it. Um, so the Red Sox have a few guys coming back from uh, the injured list relatively soon. Uh, we think at least in Marwin Gonzalez and Christian Arroyo, uh, Michael Chavis presumably is going to go down whenever 
the first of those two are ready to come back. But after that, it's a little unclear. Is it Franchi Cordero? Is it Jaron Duran? Is it Bobby Dalbeck? Um, and obviously trade acquisitions can kind of throw this into a loop either. They can also drop her lever and go back to a four-man bench. What do you think happens? I mean, my instinct is Franchi, but I imagine that he has some power over... I mean, he has power, know that. Over whether he... Uh, if he sticks or not, I just don't see it being Duran for the reasons we've discussed ad nauseum. But it I wouldn't totally shock me. Uh, I mean, he's been fine. He's a rookie. It's, it's, don't expect him to hit the ground sprinting. Dahlbeck would be interesting. I don't think so, but if they... I mean, that obviously Dahlbeck, that's just a loaded question because will he be needed? Will he even be on the team? You know, yeah, he could also be part of a trade, of course. Yeah. Right. So uh, my my instinct is Cordero, but that's there's, there's not much thought behind it other than he was the last guy to come up, so... Uh, next guy to go down that was my first instinct too but the more i think about it i don't know he's it's a small sample and things can change by the time this decision needs to be made but he's swinging a decent bat right now and he's getting i mean he's gotten three straight starts against righties and if you're really not playing Dalbeck at all against righties and you're bringing back um christian arroyo who is another right-handed hitter I think he might send out Dalvik. I mean, I can tell you I would probably DFA Workman or send down Yaxel Rios um, and go back to the four-man bench, which I've been talking about every, pretty much every episode this season. Um, but I don't know. The more I think about it, the more I think it will be Dalvik if he's still with the team. Because, I mean, clearly something's got to give, and maybe it's just for a couple weeks to get his confidence back and then see what happens. But... I, I like I wouldn't be surprised by any of them, but I think if I had to choose one, I guess I'd go Dahlbeck right now. I'd be surprised by Duran, frankly, but anyone else I'd be, I wouldn't be surprised by. I'd be a little, yeah, I guess I'd be a little surprised by Duran, but I, I it also depends on, um, unless he pulls a Kelnick and goes oh for forty. Well, that's what I was gonna say, and he's I mean he's in a rough rough spot right now, and that um, that does bring us to another question from uh, Josh Brown, who asked us about. Uh, the bigger divide, the normal that's existing right now between AAA and the majors, and we've seen it with Duran in a very small sample. I'll say he's played eight games, so I wouldn't. He's got twenty plate appearances. I wouldn't read too much into anything, but he is struggling to make contact. Um, and Franchi Cordero obviously did great in AAA, but his initial run against major league pitching this year was r- rough. And then you mentioned uh, Kelnick and. Wander even Franco Wand- has had issues. Yeah. Yeah. Even Wander and like Vidal Bruhan can't hit the broadside of a bar. Yeah. You know, it's like So I mean it is worth mentioning that divide does exist and Josh wanted me to explain it. I can't explain it that well. There are people who could do this better than me. I would uh, go ask the Sox prospects guys for a better explanation. But I think basically it just comes down to the stuff. I mean, major league pitching right now is absolutely outrageous. Um and you just I mean, don't it's the best see that we've at ever any level seen. of the major. It's the yeah, best we've ever the, seen. You just don't see it in AAA, except maybe for a couple guys who are on the cusp of getting called up. But, I mean, if you can throw – at this point, if you can throw 97 with movement, it, they really don't care 
that much about your pitchability, you're not going to be in the minors because they're going to bring you out to the majors and get those bullets out uh, before you blow out your arm there. So I think that plays into it. But again, I would ask somebody who is smarter about that sort of thing than me. Um, but the point is there is going to be some adjustment with Duran and it could get a little ugly. Um, just throwing that out there. I think he's ultimately going to be fine long-term. I've always, I've obviously been pretty high on Duran, but um, yeah, this these struggles that he's going through right now are not super surprising and I wouldn't be all that surprised if he I don't think he's going to get sent down but I wouldn't be surprised if he swapped back with uh, Verdugo in terms of lineup spots oh yeah I mean I feel like that's a given um, and that will happen soon and I think that Duran they're going to keep him around for several reasons especially you know say oh I want him around in the playoffs I want Jaron if he's not starting if he, oh, if they just have, his speed alone, yeah. Put him at second base in extra innings. That dude will score every like that. He's an incredible base runner. So that well, they won't have the second base rule isn't there for postseason. But right, that's what I mean. That's what I used to say. so you say. I'm saying, oh well, I'd want Duran for running in the postseason, but I also want him in the regular season. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess because that. he's yeah. a perfect. If he's not starting, he would be a perfect guy to do that. If nothing else, well, that was. What game was that against the Yankees? That was one of the game, Friday's game, maybe one of the games against the Yankees uh, last week. Maybe it's Thursday. Um, I wanted them to pinch it to Ram. Cora, for some reason, is not listening to me uh, as I tweet during baseball games. Instead, he used Duran as a pinch runner. It was absolutely the right move. Duran, um, I mean, we saw his speed right there, what kind of impact that makes. So I think you're right. Um, just, I mean, it's obviously Duran's a better player than this, but it's the Terrence Gore thing. Terrence Gore for years got picked up by a playoff team um, in September every single year, just because of that speed. And Duran has that kind of game changing speed. I think so. it wasn't it. There was an Olympic coach in the qualifiers who said it was the, he's the best base runner he'd ever seen. I think there was, something, I didn't see that. Yeah. There was something like that where like an old salt was like, I, I mean, and people sometimes they exaggerate a bit, but the point was that he's not just fast. He's a very yeah, he, good base runner. It's sort of, I mean, I don't in the, few looks that I've had at him, I, I wouldn't put him on the Mookie Betts level, but I wouldn't really put anybody on the Mookie Betts level. But he does seem to have that sort of instinctual quality to go around along with the pure speed. Um, all right, a couple more things. Some bad draft news for the Red Sox came down Monday night from uh, Peter Gammons. It was a pretty classic Peter Gammons tweet, so it was uh, sort of hard to totally understand what he was trying to say but basically he was saying that the Red Sox and Judd Fabian their second round pick don't look like they're going to sign uh let's see his exact tweet was agency for Boston's second round draft choice Florida center fielder Judd Fabian isn't signing two teams behind Boston talked three million before draft Sox not going to three kind of a weird gamins tweet but basically he's saying the Red Sox aren't going to go as high as Fabian wants and he's gonna actually walk away is that a big ding on the draft class i mean we talked just last week about how good this class worked but i mean if fabian's not there is that i mean that that a big ding it's not ideal but but i find it very hard to complain about the draft when you got the best player in it yeah so i I mean that's and those two things are related i imagine yes and i think i'm a little surprised by this just because I mean, this just doesn't happen. Um, top 10 picks, like first 10 round picks, generally always sign. I think there were like 
in 2019, I want to say there were maybe like five guys or something like that that didn't sign from the first 10 rounds. I mean, this just doesn't really happen to the Red Sox. I get them wanting to call the bluff on Judd Fabian, and I won't go too much into the finances here because, honestly, the finances around the MLB draft um, kind of annoy me. But the Red Sox are offering, presumably, uh, we're thinking they're offering somewhere around $2.5 million. Fabian wants three. The Red Sox aren't going to go that high. But if Fabian says no, he goes back as a senior, has to come back. He basically has to be a top-20 pick to be able to make this work out for him. That's a pretty big bet to put on himself. So I'm a, I am I understand where the Red Sox are coming from with this bluff, but they did a bad if this if he ends up not signing, which isn't a done deal yet. They did a bad job of um, really understanding how much he was going to stick to his guns, and that's part of the draft process is knowing you don't need to know exactly what you don't have to have an agreement in place with all of the prospects, but you have to have an idea of whether or not you're going to be able to get the deal done and they I mean they failed here if they don't end up getting that done and that's that's a ding like you said they got Marcelo Meyer with the first pick that puts a pretty solid floor on the draft in general and next year they'll get this pick back so they'll have the 41st pick in next year's draft but for this year's class I think it is um a big a little bit of a big ding I mean I it, it brings it down a, quite a, a little bit, bit of a big ding um <laughs> I, I I just wonder how much of it has to do with the uh, the Meyer contract did, but didn't Meyer just sign for Meyer slot? was yeah he just got slot so it's not that I think it's just the Red Sox where they figured they would be able to call Fabian's bluff and they called it and it didn't work because I mean and again the deadline is on Saturday so uh, it's entirely possible that the agents are just negotiating through Peter Gammons and they'll end up signing um, I don't want to make it sound like this is totally done but seems like they were just trying to call us bluff and it's they uh misread the situation i think it does seem to me like if you were going to negotiate through the press gammons would be a good guy to use frankly but i think he'd be the worst guy to use and i mean i don't think peter gammons is listening to this so i i guess i could just say i don't understand what he's saying half the time <laughs> i don't really know if that's a great negotiating tactic maybe it is but his tweets are kind of hard to parse from time yes. to time i mean it's not look it's not ideal, but gift horse mouth. Still not looking at the gift horse. <laughs> I finally found uh, out where that expression comes from. That their their gums recede a lot, I believe, and that uh, an old horse you don't want to look at the mouth because you don't want to know how old and nasty that horse is. Well, no, it's bec- it's because if somebody's uh, we're going way off on a tangent. It's the it's if somebody's giving you. Uh, you look at the mouth to like see, like you said, how old they are. But if somebody's giving you a gift horse, it's rude to look at his mouth right in front of the guy to see how oh. old the horse you're getting from the person. Oh, I get it. I get it. I get it. Yes. I just heard that in a podcast a few weeks ago, which is weird that it's coming up again. Um, all right. Uh, so some Damien asked about the Fabian thing. Um, he has some figures here. I'm going to be honest. I don't know if these figures are totally correct, but the crux of Damien's questions are, um, do they have enough money to sign Nathan Hickey and uh, Nico Cavadas, who are probably the two best unsigned player who are likely or who are possible to sign? My understanding is that they should be able to get both of those deals done. Uh, they drafted another guy later in the draft, Peyton Green, who might be a first round pick in a few years after going to college. Um, I've seen some questions about him. Don't expect the Red Sox to sign him, but they should be able to get uh, Hickey and Cavadas. 
I want uh, from my the draft class as well. I want my big beefy Midwestern Greek boy. Yeah, bring I me, think they'll get it. Bring me cup. He's a senior, so. Um. All right, we kind of talked about Tanner Houck's role, so I guess we don't really have to talk about this too much more. But so you think? Would you keep him in sort of not necessarily a starting role, but like in a place where you can throw him back into the rotation if you need to, or do you just let him fly for one, maybe two innings at a time? You convinced me on the latter. Yeah, I think I I I just I think that's where he ends up ultimately, anyways, and I just think he can be such a weapon. Um, especially if you think that Garrett Richards can be fine in that swingman role. I'm good with. I didn't. Like I that. didn't say that. <laughs> well, I guess fine as in I'm using Matt Andrees as the bar. I think okay. Richards will be better than that. Sure, it's not a high bar, but I yeah. do think Richards will be better. Than that. All right, last question uh, before we sign off. Red Sox up a game and a half heading into Tuesday's game. Uh, they get three more against Toronto, and then they get three against the Rays over the weekend. Are they still in first place when we talk next Tuesday? Yes. I think so, too. And I think that is a good place to end it. Uh, so thank you again for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed today's show. If you did, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, give us a rating and a review if that is possible where you listen to podcasts. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I run the Over the Monster account at Over the Monster. Brian is at Brian Joyner. Brian with a Y. Joyner with an I. And you can find all of our writing at OverTheMonster.com. And additional comment now. Uh, for this week, we are uh, looking for writers at the site, so go to the site. It is pinned uh, right near the top of the page where you can fill out an application to join the staff. And uh, other than that, I hope you have a good rest of the week, and we will be back with you next Wednesday.